even though I also love creative, I feel like I've got kind of data and numbers in my blood a little bit rather than shooting from the hip or just writing what feels good in the moment. If you can make decisions based on real data, especially from your customers, you're just going to have more success ultimately. Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. My next guest has built a company based on the understanding that data can help you build a brand. Some marketers like to shoot from the hip when it comes to ads and creative. They freestyle copywriting because they think they just know what the customer wants to hear. But what my next guest is here to tell us about is that by incorporating just a little bit of data into our decision-making, we can increase the effectiveness of our brand and marketing strategy immensely. He's the founder of Map and Fire, a brand and data strategist, and an amazing nature photographer. <laughs> Seriously, go check him out. Joining me live today is Clay Ostrom. Thanks a lot for joining me, Clay. Oh, thank you so much. I am super excited to talk to you. And thank you for that <laughs> intro. That was great. <laughs> based, on, based on your reaction, I don't think you thought I was going to go for the uh, nature photographer, eh? I, you know, I didn't. That was unexpected, but I'm all about it. I, I, I love taking pictures of, of the outdoors. I love hiking, all that good stuff. So we can always geek out on that stuff too. Happy, happy <laughs> to talk about it. No, I'm definitely uh, more of an iPhone guy, but it works out. It, they're about the I same at too. this point. Yeah. I know. I, I, I've actually, I barely use my SLR anymore. It's like the iPhone is so fantastic. I, I, I barely need anything else. So, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Okay, so I want to jump right into it because you've taken a very different approach that most marketers take and you start with the data in your decision making from a very early part of the brand decision. Like there's tons of routes that you need to take when choosing what story you want to tell with your brand. And a lot of companies, I think, go with, let's just start based on what the founder really enjoys and based on what our first two customers like. And then we'll just go with that for a couple of years and then we'll reassess based on the data. So take me through <laughs> your decision-making and how you've, you've chosen data as really the foundational piece in the marketing rather than uh, a nice to have. Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a great question and it's a big one. You know, it's certainly, it, it kind of speaks a little bit to my background. I come from actually more of the tech side. Originally I have a degree in computer science. I spent years working on product and UX and all this kind of stuff. And so even though I also love creative, I feel like I've got kind of data and numbers in my blood a little bit. And I think like you're saying, rather than shooting from the hip or just writing what feels good in the moment, you know, if you can make decisions based on real data, especially from your customers, you're just going to have more success. Ultimately, you're going to be able to like shorten that, that, uh, that timeline between basically finding product market fit and, you know, speaking to the needs and, you know, the things that your customers really care about. So that, that is kind of where we try to start. Obviously we were always thinking about at the beginning, kind of big picture vision and values kind of stuff to, to, to point us in the right direction. But as soon as we get into the positioning and thinking about who the customers are and what they need, you know, 
yes, we can make our best guesses. We can use a little bit of psychology and, you know, think through like what we know of our customers, and what our clients know of their customers. But then we like to, to move into data. We like to, to really like work into, you know, doing surveys and, and, and interviews and, you know, really talking to customers to inform those decisions. Yeah, we'll get into more detail about those pillars, but just as a nice overview, that was that was really helpful to kind of uh, get get us in the right context of what you mean by data. And so, so one example you've talked about in a few of your blog posts is language being an output that can be helped along with data, because usually with with copy and and the language we use to communicate, that's just human. You feel you just say it, you do it, but you think that there's another way to identify how to craft those messages, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's a big part of what we're using. You know, and again, like you're saying, but there's different kinds of data, obviously. You know, there's data to track, you know, marketing activities and engagement and churn and cost of acquisition and like all these things that we care about as businesses. And the data we're kind of talking about in this case is more like, surveys, it's it's interviews, it's getting to know the customer and kind of really digging into what they need, you know, what are what are their motivations, what kind of outcomes are they seeking? And then we can use that to to inform, you know, priorities within messaging. So there's always going to be a creative element, right? I mean, there's always going to be a creative piece in of this process where we have to ultimately create those those phrases and those messages and all that kind of stuff. But we want those to be informed by the things we know our customers care about most. And so by using data, we can, again, we can kind of really tease apart those things. We can understand, again, not just what they care about, but really the priority of the things that they care about. You know, mm-hmm. when you're thinking about setting up, say, a website or a landing page or your ad copy, you want to know like what what should we focus on first like what is that you know most important important part of our value proposition and then we can kind of work our way down so that's kind of how we sort of think about it let's let's go through an example so we can kind of understand how we want to ask these questions and what the actual me- mechanism is to get the answers so say we're building a landing page for a new product and we've got that, well, the, the R&D team thinks that these are all the features that are going to make it fly off the shelves. Mm-hmm. How would you help me to set up this kind of data acquisition to make sure that we're, A, getting the, the features right, but more importantly, the benefits of those features, right? Because you've, you've broken that down in a few other things where there's feature-centric copy and then there's user-centric copy. So if yeah. we're... Let's say we're right, like right at the beginning and we've got a whole bunch of features. How would we narrow those down to identify the most important features and then from there find the inverse of them so that we're speaking user-centric copy rather than feature-centric? I mean, that, that really kind of speaks to what I was saying earlier about like our positioning process where the first thing we want to do is we want to look at, obviously, we have to think about what you're trying to provide. What is your service? What is your product? What are those features? What we do is we look at the competitive landscape. We try to figure out, you know, where do you have the most unique value with what you're providing compared to everybody else in the market? Because you may have a similar set of features as a competitor, but you may excel in a particular area. There may be like one or two or three things that really set you apart. We like to 
chart and graph those things out so we can kind of spot those those deltas like those differences between you know where your competitors are and where you are and if there's areas where you're really close you may not want to try to compete on those areas you know you may it may not be worthwhile to try to invest in uh, areas where you have these big gaps the areas where you really excel and differentiate yourself that's the thing you know those are the things we want to talk about most and so and would that, sorry to interrupt but would that be no, a feature please. like if there's a feature that is unique to your product say it can jump higher than your competitor's product is that a, is that the right way of thinking about it? Well, it's interesting. We we kind of think about it in two ways, right? And this speaks to your other question about features versus benefits. We we really try to think about, you know, what are the things our do our customers value the most in a solution? So rather than just strictly thinking about um, you know, a particular feature set, it's about what are the things that they're seeking to get out of this? What are the things that are going to make their lives better? And then we'll compare your solution versus competitor solutions on that on that kind of framework so do you help them save more time do you help them ease complications do you remove hassles from their life do you um, provide a greater sense of design and aesthetic value do you um, relieve anxiety <laughs> in their lives and then we have this whole structure that we use to evaluate and kind of again pull those things apart so again, we're looking at it in both ways. We're looking at it from that perspective, what are the differences in value you provide? And we're looking at it in terms of like, what are the features that you provide that are, again, kind of different or unique, so. Okay, cool. So Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, so you kind of identify, going back to like, whatever it is, the eight things that all humans crave all the time. Which of those eight do we satisfy? And then, at, and then how do we satisfy them? Exactly. Yeah. And that's that. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because the, the framework we use, or at least you know, one of the tools we use is this, this pyramid called the elements of value that was created by a Bain and company, a consulting firm. And it's sort of the business equivalent of like Maslow's hierarchy mm -hmm. of needs. <laughs> so if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, it's at the bottom, you've got shelter and sleep and food and and you kind of move up that pyramid and at the top you get into self-actualization where you can really kind of live your best life and fulfill the image of who you are. And so the other pyramid we use called the elements of value is sort of the business equivalent of that. And at the bottom we have functional stuff like saving time and saving money. And in the middle we have emotional things like reducing anxiety. And at the top, we have aspirational things. And that's, uh, again, like self-actualization, but also self-transcendence, thinking about how do the decisions I make affect everyone else in the world? So, so that's, we're kind of looking at it from that perspective. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very like benefit need based kind of. I just pulled it up. There's like 30 of them here. There's a lot, but the base yep. layer is functional, emotional, life-changing, and then social impact. Because once you've got yourself sorted, then you want to help others. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's kind of that's kind of like the peak. One of the examples we use a lot uh, when we're talking about stuff is Tom's shoes. Like Tom's model originally was based on this sort of you buy a pair of shoes and they give a pair of shoes to someone need like in a developing country, right? And that's that's kind of tapping into that self-transcendence sort of element where you can say like not only am I getting a fashionable pair of shoes, but I'm helping other people in the process and that's that that creates a lot of deep brand loyalty with people because mm -hmm. it makes you feel good and it's also fulfilling needs for yourself. Let's get into how your company, Map and Fire, uses this idea of brand strategy data combined to create the four pillars that you put together. 
So I'll, why don't I read out just from, from your site, like what the four are, and then we can maybe just do get a little bit in depth on each one. So vision is what you believe in, where you're headed, and the milestones to get you there. Position is what your customers need and your unique position in the competitive landscape. Tone and visuals is how you communicate and present your company to your customers. And then messaging, which is the expression of your brand's value proposition through key messages. So a lot there. Let's start. Let's, let's break it down a little bit. Which one would you like to start with? Or which one do you usually start with? So we always start with vision. So we're always starting with that big picture piece. And, and it's, it's interesting because that's kind of the piece that's maybe the least data driven of all of this, because it's really coming from the founders. It's coming from the leaders of the company. Yes. I mean, it, in some cases, it may be sort of based on maybe what they're seeing in the market or, you know, opportunities they see there, like that might be helping to dictate the vision of the company. But when you're talking about stuff like values, you know, core values for a brand that's not you know necessarily coming from data so much as coming from what does your company stand for you know what do the founders stand for what's most important to them like how do they want their team to behave and that's stuff that people i think are getting just a lot more in tune to now and not just internally with with businesses but customers are getting in tune to that you know when we see brands out there kind of misbehaving <laughs> and sort of violating the values that might not align with, with you um that affects us like that affects how we want to you know which brands we want to interact with and stuff so, yeah. so that's where we start you know that's usually the first step and that one's as you said is is very internal right like that shouldn't really be customer based at all like that's you're if you're founding a company or you're in the leadership of a company what why are we doing this it's like, why are you spending your time doing this? Often there's some personal driver component to it, right. you know, something that happened to the founder or something that drove them to want to create a company like this in the first place. I mean, there's always the classic, like the, the founder who's trying to solve a problem for themselves first, you know, and then that turns into like a profitable business. So that's kind of a seed usually for it. And then it's sort of extracting out, well, okay, so that's cool. So why, though? like, why do you actually want to do this beyond money beyond? Cause of course, every business for the most part, or most businesses are in there in it to, to make profits and revenue. But beyond that, you know, and this is some of the, like, if you've read any of the, like, Simon Sinek stuff, like, starting with why, like, that's, that's purpose, that's core purpose, like, why are you doing this in the first place? And maybe there's not a huge world change that you're going to make, but there should be something deeper there than just, uh, like, let's make some money. <laughs> okay, great. So you get clarity on vision first. Then mm -hmm. second is position? Yeah, yeah. Positioning is is kind of the that's really in, in a lot of ways sort of the meat of the engagement we have with clients because that's where we're really digging into who your clients are, what's motivating them. We use another framework called jobs to be done, which is a really interesting framework. It's it really helps you it helps you get out of the mindset of what are we building and what do our customers actually need. And that's an important distinction. It's uh kind of subtle in some ways, but it's, it, it gets you out of the mindset of just like, you know, let's build something cool and something that we like and really putting the customer first and saying, what do they need? How can we make their lives better? Um, yeah. So that second section positioning is, it's about that. 
And then like we we're saying before, it's, you know, digging into the, where you fit in the competitive landscape, where are those gaps that you can kind of really set yourselves apart. Um, and then even in some ways it's, it's helping you innovate with your product and service because it's helping you find that alignment between what do your customers need and what can you make, you know, mm -hmm. what are you skilled to make? So, or provide. So. Right. And position requires a little bit more data. What, what kind of data would we be looking at at this level? So this is where, so what we generally would do is first, we want to get everybody's best thoughts down on paper and kind of map that kind of stuff out, talk with our customer or talk with our clients through that. Like, cause most of the time they already know certain things about their, their, their uh, customer base. So we try to get that down first and then we'll move into some, some research where we're trying to validate, you know, the assumptions they've made. Cause like we all make assumptions about our business and about our, our customers and, some of it's right and some of it's not right. And you may not know <laughs> all the time, like which parts of your thinking are right and which aren't. And that's again, where data kind of comes into play, right? Is where we can, we can actually ask people, you know, and get their feedback and, and then use that to refine some of the work. Would that be surveys like we were talking about before? Yeah, usually the primary method we'll use is surveys. And then depending on the client's needs, we might do actual just like customer interviews too. You know, okay. and both are super important. We're we're kind of all about speed with with the work that we do and trying to get through this stuff kind of as quickly as we can so we can put it into practice and then really test it with customers. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Any tools that you'd recommend on on that customer engagement data collection stage? I mean, one of the main ones we use, which is it's certainly not a, a big secret, is SurveyMonkey. We use that a lot with to create customer surveys. Specifically, though, what's great about it is they have audience panels. So if you don't, you know, if you're especially if you're a startup or you're some companies have been around a while but don't have a huge built up audience yet you can use these audience panels to talk to real people if you don't have access to them yourself. So, so okay. we really like that. And you can also do it really fast, which is again, uh, part of our MO, what we love. Yeah. So. Okay. Number two is position. Number three. Now we're moving on to tone and visuals. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So tone of voice. So this is where we're thinking about like, you know, um, how do we want to talk to our customers? So again, based on the positioning, based on what we know about them, how do we actually want to talk to them? What What is the right way to talk to them? And this goes back to the stuff you were saying at the beginning, which is, you know, we all have a tone. We have a personal tone of like how we think and talk to each other and stuff. But this really needs to be focused on what do your customers need to hear to engage with you? And that's a huge miss, I feel like, a lot of times with businesses is they default to maybe the founder's voice or some kind of mishmash collective voice of just everybody who's working on it and everybody who's contributing to copy and stuff. And it just ends up being sort of a, a generic businessy sounding tone by really spending time on it and focusing on defining it. It gives you a chance to make a statement about like how we want to speak and make sure everybody's doing it in a consistent way. And then the same thing for visuals, whether you're picking a color it or or imagery for a brand you know you want that stuff to be based on what do our customers what would best speak to them you know not again like what type of image do you personally like necessarily again it's a creative process so there's always some personal input in it and that's fine but but we we like it to we like to have a reason behind our decisions i guess is what uh, what it comes down to right 
And at this stage, that's when you'd kind of engage with a designer, I'm assuming, and in a lot of cases like that. Some people say, oh, we need a rebrand, but they're not considering the tone. They're just considering we need it to look modern. We need it to look 2020, even though by the time it's done, it's already going to be 2021. (laughs) Right. So do you think that the tone... If you, if you have really good clarity on the tone, that's kind of timeless. Like that can carry on well past what current user experience and user design fads happen. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. I think, it's, uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I think there are certain elements that should be timeless in a way that they kind of speak again, timeless, at least in the sense of who your, your customers are and kind of what they need or want. And there's also stuff around like color psychology and things like that, that are maybe somewhat scientific that are kind of interesting. I do think in addition to that, there is room for saying, we want this to look, you know, modern, or we want this to look of the moment in some way. And there's, there's value in that too, just because blue happens to be, you know, a color associated with trust. So every bank there uses blue there's different shades of blue. There's different ways of ways of executing around that that might feel super outdated and, and kind of dusty and old. In other ways, it might feel really fresh and it might appeal to, say, a younger demo or something. So yeah, that's that's again where I would say that's a good example of where it's sort of like the data and creative have to work together. So know? one example that I've noticed is Dropbox. I think it was about last year, just did a huge rebrand where all of a sudden, all their, and this is maybe what they're, they've recognized through the data was how are people using Dropbox? Well, it's not really being used as a business tool as much as it's being used as a file sharing tool for creatives, designers, mm-hmm. whoever needs to share work with people all the time and just need it to work. And so I noticed a huge shift in all their tone where no, it was no longer about super easy file syncing. It was, don't worry about tech, keep working on your creative. And all of a sudden, there was little hand-drawn characters all over their websites, and all their emails got really cutesy about that. And the tone changed too. It was it was no longer just file sharing. It was accelerate your creative freedom by making file <laughs> right. sharing easier. Right? Do you think that was that was a tone change? Would you Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You're. I mean, just on a on a larger scale, like B to C versus B to B, the people you're talking to are very different. I mean, if you're talking to an individual customer or an individual person who is looking for a personal solution, you know, that's drastically different than some C-suite decision maker who's you know speaking and thinking on a on a maybe a higher level. Now that being said, there still should be some crossover, I believe, in in you still have to tap into emotions with people. You have to speak to people in a way that gets them emotionally excited. And that goes for the most technical, <laughs> data-driven, business-minded person. Everybody still makes decisions ultimately on an emotional level. And so you need to be thinking about that. Um, and I think you also need to use language that's accessible. I don't think just because you're talking to a, a business person that you should use technical jargon and stuff like that. I think that's another huge mistake that we see companies make a lot. Yeah. And that moves really well into the fourth pillar, which is messaging. Is that what you mean by that? It's, it's one of the hardest parts, you know, and I think, again, it, it's something that comes up a lot with, especially when the founders or the people who maybe know the product or the business super well and are, are kind of subject matter experts, 
their default a lot of times is to speak in the language and the jargon that's native to that space. And you think you're sounding smart or you think you're sounding kind of that it elevates your message in some way, but it really just makes it harder to digest. And again, it, it also makes it easy to just sort of gloss over stuff because our brains don't process <laughs> complex ideas and words very well. And when we're just trying to make a split second determination of like, should I even keep looking at this site? You know, if something doesn't catch my attention or, or hook me emotionally in some way quickly, it's like, I'm, you know, forget about it. Like if I can't see an immediate benefit, um, we just don't, don't give time anymore where we make these snap judgments now with, with, with brands all the time. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you, if you were working with a very technical product, what suggestions would you have when it comes to messaging to make sure that you're, you're getting in front of the right people and they know what you're doing because it's, it's technical and it's niche. So people need to self-identify very quickly, but you also don't want to just make it so complicated that the person's not warmed up at any point to be like, Oh, I know what those words are, but I don't usually see it in ad copy. So I'm not even going to register it. Yeah. So are you speaking about just from a messaging perspective or what, what what sort of scenario are you are, are you describing yeah let's go with messaging so how high level should your website be compared to a direct email to a person who's inquired like is that where you can get technical versus the website should be fairly accessible to a broader audience it depends a little bit but i think in general you know, leading with something that's easy to digest and something that can be quickly digested and understood as like a lead from a top, you know, whether that's the, 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 the masthead kind of headline on your website, or maybe that's the, the subject line of your email, you know, or it's the, the, the quick bit of copy that's on the ad. People are giving you the least time to make some kind of impression. And so that's where you need to be clear and simple and using accessible language, I think, the most. And then once you have somebody's interest, especially with a technical product, it's like, yes, of course, you're going to have to get into some of the technical details. Some people will want that. But let's, you know, let's do that a little further down. Like once we've gotten their attention, we know they're at least interested. It's touching on some nerve for them. Then we have an opportunity to kind of dig in deeper. But, but, but. Don't hit them with that out of the gate because you're just, again, most people will just be straight to that back button and get out of there as quickly as they can. And and when it comes to testing your messaging, would you use a similar kind of mechanism for putting it in front of your target audience and seeing which copy they respond best to? When it comes to testing this kind of stuff, obviously the gold standard will always be your actual audience, the real people who you're engaging with. And so when I'm talking about some of the other tools we use, it's sort of a surrogate for that. It's like when you don't, maybe you don't have a lot of traffic yet, or you don't, your business doesn't generate thousands and thousands of views every day. This is to complement or augment that, that, that piece. So, but yes, so we have, you know, a couple tools. Again, I, I wrote an article about this recently. There's a tool that we use called PickFoo, which we really like, which is sort of like an AB split testing tool. And it's cool because you can put up multiple variations of a message or a visual, whatever you need, and get really fast results, not just 
like what people prefer, but also why they prefer it, they have to leave a little comment about like what, why they liked that. And that can be really helpful when you're trying to kind of, again, tease apart, like not just which ones people preferred, but why you can kind of get in their heads a little bit more and understand, you know, where they're coming from and why they didn't like that other message. So. Yeah. And then that's the best way to write copy is just to copy and paste people's answers from your surveys. That is so true. Listening to the language that people use when they talk to you is so critical. That's why interviews are so important because you might, again, especially using the example of maybe the technical founder, they may have certain language that they're just in a pattern of using when they talk about things. But then you talk to your your customer and they describe it in a completely different way. Or they, you know, all the things you're taking for granted, they aren't thinking about any of that stuff. Or you're too deep in the weeds and they're not in the weeds at all. They're like somewhere hovering above them. And yeah, so yeah, I completely agree. I think you can get all sorts of great nuggets from talking to customers and and then repurposing (laughs) what they tell you into, you know, marketing language. Thanks for taking us through that, Clay. Just to reiterate, it was vision, position, tone and visuals, and then the last one was messaging. And so how long would it take typically for you when you engage with a client? How long would that whole to go through all four pillars, would that take for you? We try to go through that process in about four weeks. We're Again, we're our MO with this stuff is we want to go through this quickly and get it out in the wild and start getting it in front of real real customers. Um, again, because that's really the, the final test of, of these things. Yes, we believe in strategy. We believe in some planning, but we also believe in putting it into action because it can't just be, you know, pretty thoughts on a whiteboard. It's got to be like grounded in real practical stuff ultimately. So that's, we try to get everybody to that point as fast as we can. Are there any indicators that a company is in need of a brand clarification, like to go through this, this is a significant uh, commitment. What would be an indicator that, oh, our vision and position are totally off. We need to rethink this. Or is there a way of maintaining it over time? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest issues we see clients running into comes back to lack of clarity. They don't know how to talk about themselves clearly, which usually is rooted in we don't know what makes us different or unique. We're not differentiated in the market in any significant way. Some of our clients are kind of self-aware enough that they just recognize like we can't like we've tried we've tried for two years to figure out how to or three years or 10 years how to like talk about ourselves you know properly and we can't do it at least in a way that really resonates it seems with our customers so that's kind of one sometimes it's you know a plateau like we've we were growing and now we've kind of plateaued off and we're not really getting any new people in the door we're not engaging people like we used to that's a big one and I would say the third, the third one is companies that have sort of grown organically where you were sort of flying by the seat of your pants at the beginning and just sort of winging it. And, and then next thing you've got like 10 employees and people writing copy for you or, or communicating with customers for you. And, and everything's just word of mouth. When you got hired in, the, the, the founder told you a story about why the business was founded and 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 we're a big family here and and like this isn't this great and then everybody's just supposed to go off and like do stuff and the odds of that stuff being aligned is it's next to nil it's like you know you sit down and ask them the same set of questions and their answers will be 
very different. So it's like, it's giving them a chance to put those ideas down and get everybody on the same page. And then you walk away with something that you can give everybody on the team to get everybody aligned. So those are some of the, the biggest things. It's definitely a proactive thing that you need to do as often as you need to, to make sure that you're, there's no communication breakdown. Cause that's the, the trickiest part of it. <laughs> Most knowledge driven businesses is it's just like people in their head all day typing away on computers. We need to make sure that we're talking the same language because there's so much outbound communication happening all the time. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it at places you've worked, right? Where, you know, maybe the people you work with closely, you know, you guys might have some kind of similar idea of how things should be done, but there isn't necessarily a way or there isn't like just even a way that's been explained to everybody yeah. in, in one cohesive way. So, yeah. yeah. Very cool. Well, we're about out of time. I just want to touch on one last topic that you've spent a significant amount of time in you put a you put together a quite a, a nice overview article about it and that's taking a look at data again but it was google trends which is one of my favorite data tools if you've never been on google trends just look that up and then you can just type in any keyword sentence topic noun whatever you want to look at and then it just shows you how popular that search term has been in google going back 16 years is like the the longest back history, which is going to be cool. Imagine, imagine what it's going to be like 50 years from now when people can go 75 years oh into gosh. the past and look at what words we've started, like that language. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's so crazy to think about all the data that's being collected now on everything we do. And yeah, that's going to provide all sorts of crazy insights later on. So. Oh man, so good. So, but you specifically typed in two words, and this is another cool part of Google Trends, is you can type in two words and it shows them comparatively based on search volume. It won't give you exact numbers, but it'll compare the two. So the two words you typed in right. were brand and marketing. And the two of them have flipped in popularity over those 16 years. It was kind of just an experiment, honestly. Like I was doing some keyword research for our own company and I just sort of popped into my head and I knew about Google Trends and I just thought, huh, I wonder, I wonder what the relative, you know, interest is in these, in these two words. And 16 years ago in 2004, marketing was by far the dominant term and, and about almost exactly halfway through about, you know, eight years ago, they kind of crossed, you know, they were sort of equal and now it's the inverse where brand is, you know, sort of the dominant um, trending word ahead of marketing. I mean, this is a big topic. Maybe, maybe we can do another podcast about just this at some point, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's been really interesting and actually hearing people's responses to it has been super interesting. I, I kind of described it as sort of a Rorschach test for people, you know, in the industry to say like, when you look at this, what does this say to you? I mean, I don't know, like, what was your reaction to it? Like, what, what was your first thought when you saw that? We have to take into consideration it's probably not just industry people who are searching that term, but it's also just a kind of a cultural commentary saying brand has become the eye of the beholder, like what they, why they would go with a specific company. So like right at the beginning of the episode, you and I were chatting about does a brand align with my values? Mm -hmm. That's just marketing. It's just the communication and things we put out there. Are we saying the right words that you're like, yeah, I agree. Like if, mm -hmm. if, a, if a company chooses to put out a political claim, that's just marketing because it, it was a calculated decision. 
but mm-hmm. it influences the brand perception. So my reaction would be, it just means that people are taking into consideration more than just surface level stuff. They're taking into consideration consistency over time. Now that there's unlimited channels to get someone's attention, it's no longer <laughs> how are our marketing strategies? It's more, are we consistent across every single channel that aligns with our brand? I think that's a great, a great way to put it. The beauty of this data from Google is it's really based on everybody out there who's searching. So this isn't just industry experts who are searching for these terms. It really is sort of like the zeitgeist of what's top of mind for people and what does that mean? And I think, yeah, I think what you said is totally true. I think people are just so much more savvy about this stuff now, and we have so much more access to how companies behave and kind of, again, whether it's like a political stance or being maybe environmentally responsible or, you know, uh, or just, again, just how the leaders are behaving or treating people. Like, like these stories come out now and it's it has a huge impact on perception uh, for the brand. I feel like in the past, brand was sort of this exclusive playground for giant companies, the Microsofts and Apples and McDonald's and Cokes. And, you know, they had a brand, but nobody else thought about brand. You know, we just sort of absorbed their marketing. And so marketing was kind of maybe more top of mind. But now I think there's this trickle down where people and business owners are getting much more savvy about this stuff and understanding how to build trust with customers, how to build that consistency, how to build long relationships with people so they keep coming back to you and and all the different ways you need to, to do that. Now brand is no longer this elite sort of thing exclusive for the ultra rich or the mega corporations. It's now something that even small businesses are thinking about and medium-sized businesses. And, and that's obviously who we're dealing with a lot. Um, so yeah, so I don't know. It's, it's super interesting to me though. I think depending on where you come from, I've seen a lot of different reactions from people about it. And one of the biggest ones is just like, they're not the same thing. It's not like you can just sort of say like, it's not either or, right? It's not brand or marketing. Um, marketing is part of your brand. So what makes them different? Well, I mean, I guess in a nutshell, I would say brand, at least the way we think about it really represents everything that your business is doing. I mean, again, it's everything that we walked through earlier, your high level vision, your positioning, your communication. And then um, it's also about, you know, your customer's perception of all that. And do they trust you? And do they, you know, absorb the messages that you're giving them effectively? Do they understand the value you provide? And so the marketing piece just, in my mind, the marketing piece just speaks to that one point. That's, it's the communication between the business and the customer. And that's contained kind of within this bigger bubble of brand. So that's, I guess if I, yeah, that would be the best way I could sort of sum it up. I think quickly. (laughs) I know you've got tons of resources on your website at map and fire, M-A-P-A-N-D-F-I-R-E.com. There's the brand guidebook, which takes us through a few, a little bit more detail than the, than we covered today, the four brand pillars. And then there's also something I saw in there too, about this idea of brand and marketing kind of touching at certain points and then needing to be very different at other points. So make sure to check out uh, uh, mapandfire.com. And that's also the best place to get a hold of you, right, Clay? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, obviously uh, you can find us other spots, Twitter and Instagram and stuff. But uh, yeah, you can go to our site. Like you said, uh, we have tons and tons of resources, do a lot of writing, but also lots of other, we call it our field guide, but there's lots of other uh, cool 
uh, accessible free resources in there too. So yeah, you're definitely walk the walk in terms of the consistency side of thing. All your assets across all your channels look really good. Uh, so <laughs> if that's not incentive enough to go check out Clay's stuff, then you're listening to the wrong show. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> awesome, man. Thanks so much for taking the time, Clay. You really, uh, really helped me kind of clarify the steps needed to take in order to really understand what the why and the and then take make action out of it awesome thanks Siri. i really appreciate it this is really fun if you enjoyed anything that you just heard then you're gonna absolutely love what i'm about to tell you if you go online to topofmind.substack.com and put in your email you can get access to exclusive behind the scenes content inspired by this show. So there's going to be candid audio recordings that aren't going to be available anywhere else, not on Spotify, not on Apple, nowhere else except on topofmind.substack.com. But that's not it. It's also a platform where I can share written content, videos, links, and anything else that I come across directly with you. You're going to get access to it right away. You're going to get access to the whole library of archived posts. And you're also going to be the first to be notified when a new episode of Top of Mind comes out. So head on over to topofmind.substack.com. See you there. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard, you're going to absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm going to share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real-life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.